When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to another episode of Leafs Talk Forever. Uh, you're with Scott and Spencer. Uh, Kyle can't be with us tonight, so uh, probably still counting those months. Um, <laughs> episode, episode 16. Uh, this episode is going to be a little bit different. It's going to be all about the rumors and stories around the NHL right now. Uh, there is a lot of them. Uh, yes, episode 16. Uh, Scott's going to start us off with jersey numbers. Uh, before I get into that, though, quickly remember this is a partnership with the Inside the Rink. Uh, so go to their Twitter page at inside underscore the underscore rink on Twitter uh, and check out the articles, the website, all that kind of cool stuff. Because there's there's unlimited articles that are coming out right now. We have a lot of production happening. So get to get up with uh, what's happened in the NHL there and uh, support a up and coming brand. Also, uh, go back and listen to our former podcast, like past episodes. Because we do often uh, mention stuff we have talked about in the past to to further our points on stuff we're talking about now. So if you're ever lost about anything we're talking about when we said we mentioned a previous episode or we talked about it before, uh, make sure you go back and listen to those so then you know exactly what we're talking about. That's a that's a brilliant point, especially just a minute ago when I said count the months. Go back and listen to last time and listen to Kyle try and count from June to October because it was hilarious. Yeah. Um, and he can't, he's not here to defend himself, so we'll make fun of him as much as possible and he won't even know. Uh, yeah, so we're on episode 16, so Scott's going to start us off here with uh, his favorite 16 and some classics. Yeah. Uh, my favorite 16, which, as I just mentioned, uh, we do mention previous podcasts a lot. And so now, as I mentioned in a lot of podcasts we've done, I don't necessarily always uh, find myself picking a favorite leaf because the jersey numbers that we have had so far, I don't really have a lot of favorites for those numbers. But this week, I do have a favorite, and that being Darcy Tucker. Uh, he was on the Leafs 2000s up until I think like 2010 or 2008. I can't remember the exact date or year. Uh, but yeah, he was a, a digger, uh, get under your skin rat type player wasn't afraid to scrum it up fight but could also when needed put up points i think he had a career high of like 67 points for the leafs uh you could relate him to on a, the modern day team uh, michael bunting uh 
for the get under the player's skin, scrumming up after the whistle in the corners, whatever. We haven't necessarily seen Michael Bunting a lot. Obviously, he's, he's only played one year with the Leafs, so we don't know if he's going to continuously put up 60, 70 points, which would kind of diminish the Darcy Tucker comparison because Darcy Tucker only put up 60 points at least once. But, yeah, uh, yeah, when he was on the Leafs, he was one of my favorites. I liked how he would get on the player's skin and, and wasn't afraid to drop the gloves when needed. He didn't always win, but he wasn't afraid to drop the gloves. Yeah, pretty much a psychopath. Like blood dripping out his face and still smiling after getting a fight. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, who you got? Friend of the, friend of the Instagram account. Oh, yeah. Um, my, Mine's Mitch Marner. Uh, also, the Instagram account wasn't getting any kind of uh, interest, so I just... Uh, stop posting episode updates on the Instagram because it was drawing like three likes in a uh, post. So um, if you are interested and you've come here from the Instagram, you've probably clicked the link in our bio. So click the link in our bio on Instagram and come to the podcast. Uh, mine is Mitch Marner. Uh, I was going to choose Clark MacArthur once Scott mentioned Clark MacArthur or 16. I liked that, uh, that line with Grabowski and Kuhlman, but Mitch Marner has got to do it could be one of the greatest leaves alongside Matthews that we've ever seen. So, uh, yeah, great guy. And uh, uh, classics. Yeah, for classics this week, uh, last week we did it. I think we've done it once before. And then the next couple of uh, jersey numbers, I think up until jersey number 27, uh, we're going to have to do it too because there's a lot of players who wore those jerseys, so they'll be – a lot of names or at least six plus names that we'll have to mention. So it'll take a bit to actually break down who those players were like we normally do. Um, so this week we have for number 16, uh, Tim Horton, Rod Sealing, Gary Lehman, Russ Courtnell, Eddie Olchuk, and Craig Berube. Craig Berube, coach of the St. Louis Blues. Don't forget that. Yeah, that's, that's the only reason I added to the list. <laughs> I, I don't oh, okay. even know how long he actually played for the Leafs. He only wore 16 for one year, so he was just – most people would know him as a coach, so I figured if you put him on the list, they'd get that cue the Leonardo DiCaprio gift where he's pointing at the TV. <laughs> yeah. Um, Eddie Oldchuck, uh, you know what his mom always told him? Uh, I, I don't remember, but I know what you're talking about. <laughs> Can't hit the net. If can't or what? Yeah. <laughs> All right, <laughs> rewind. <laughs> All right, uh, Eddie Olchuk on NHL Twenty used to say, "If you don't hit the net, you can't score," or something like that. That's what his mom oh, always yeah. told him. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, thank you, Miss Olchuk, for being Captain Obvious. Uh, as mentioned before, this is a rumor mill episode. Uh, just before we get into the nitty gritty uh, of like three weeks to a month of the draft. Uh, July 7th and 8th is the draft. July 13th is free agency, so mark those dates on your calendar. Um, so we're going to be breaking down all different uh, rumors and talking about them and, and firings and hirings and all that type of fun stuff. So we're going to start with uh, Steve Breer, who's a least goaltending coach. Was uh, has agreed to part ways with the team, and uh, he's been with the team since 2015. So obviously, some 
who to go through. Well, I mean, Freddie Anderson is one, Jack Campbell's two, and and there's been some in between. But uh, yeah, so this is kind of a two part question I have for you, Scott. So I just wrote an article was released at like eight o'clock about this. Um, and the the two things I touched on was: Do you think uh, if Toronto brings in a a notable goalie coach around the league, it will draw a new goalie to the team? Uh, that's obviously not Jock Campbell, but one of a high caliber like a John Gibson, like a Darcy Kemper, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't. It would help. It wouldn't. It wouldn't be a bad thing. Uh, and again, as we've mentioned in, in previous episodes, the current Leafs, as they're constructed, they're set up, how they're they're managed, uh, seems to be a, enough of a drawing point to bring players to, to the city. Players have become vocal about wanting to come play here, which hasn't always been the case in the past. The only thing that's really hindered them the last couple of years, and maybe this year if, if they can't move all the pieces that are expected to be moved to kind of clear some more cap, is salary cap. So... Yeah, with the with the allure of the team being a perennial playoff team, uh, potentially those that goalie pushing them to the next round to a, a Stanley Cup, fingers crossed. Uh, and then added in the bonus of having a, a goalie coach who you already have a relationship with, who knows your playing style, your habits, your routines on and off the ice. Uh, yeah, I think it's only only a drawing point for the for them to to bring someone in, especially if they are going after a John Gibson or Darcy Kemper to bring in someone who has a relationship with them because then it's just an in another in to have them added to the team. Yeah. And, and you kind of think like the comparable to baseball is pitching coaches, right? Um, yeah. Obviously Robbie Ray didn't sign with the Le- or the Jays this past year, but Pete Walker had a big influence on how he, he revitalized his career and uh, Jack Campbell for, for example, it was Bill Ranford in, in, uh, another goalie coach that he had years ago in the in the minors, but um, yeah, Bill Ranford played a big uh, part in that. And although he's locked up with LA, there could be still a chance that maybe they go after the guy who helped him in the minors. Said maybe he stays, or maybe the old goalie coach from Anaheim. So kind of interesting to see. Uh, we're, we're, I'm going to ask you another question regarding goaltending. Uh, and that is for you to give some insight on the Jack Campbell news about his contract. Um, wait, wasn't there two questions about your article? Uh, yeah, but you kind of answered both at the same time. So we'll just, uh, the second one was just, was, actually, maybe you didn't. Would the least look at, the other question was, would the least look internally, uh, internally through the organization, not necessarily players or people in the organization right now, but through their historical uh, or history of their of their organization, like a Curtis Joseph, like a Felix Boffin. Uh, um, do you think that there'd be some kind of draw to bring those guys in? I mean, yeah, I think, with, especially with a name like Felix Boffin or Curtis Joseph in Leafs, uh, nation fan base, whatever you want to call it, those those names are always going to be draw. Uh, and it seems like Curtis Joseph has been around the Leafs, whether it's uh, like interacting with fans or at outdoor game winter classics, uh, more often in recent years than he has at any point that I can remember since playing for them. So it seems like he's taking more of a a, a wanted role, even if it's just as a fan ambassador with the team. So I I think he'd probably be open to that. 
But I think, and especially how Kyle Dubas works, where his upper management staff is usually so thorough and intricate with their scouting and, and how they view candidates and stuff, I, I feel like they're just going to go for someone who is already an experienced um, candidate for the position, someone who they don't necessarily have to teach the role or, or will have to have a learning curve for the role because they haven't done anything like it before. So, yeah, I think while it would be nice to have a former goalie, especially with the name of Felix Boffin and Curtis Joseph, within the Leafs organization, I, I don't think that they're going to. I think that Dubas and them are going to go for someone who, even if it comes from the OHL or another league uh, in North America, uh, AHL, uh, anywhere in the CHL, even a college, I think they're going to go for someone who, who ha- ha- already has experience in the role and would, would do better at the job than, at least right away, someone who you would have to teach the role to. And with that, let's move on to the Jack Campbell contract saga, which I believe you have some updates for us. No. <laughs> okay, I'll take it then. Uh, I tried to incorporate uh, everyone on the pod, um, but I'll take it. Uh, um, yikes. Okay. So uh, I, I, a couple of weeks back or a couple of days ago, there was a rumor that Toronto and, and, and Jack Campbell had pretty much locked up or uh, um, packed up and walked away from each other. Uh, I'm not sure the validity of that. Uh, I have heard a few times that people have said that Jack Campbell's asking for 5.5 or $5 million for three years, a little steep for the Leafs. Uh, I think steep for him in general, but keeping in mind, this guy's only made less than $5 million in his career, career earnings. So there could be a chance that he gets that on the open market. Um, but yeah, there's a sense from, from just some people and, and some things that I've read that, that looks like Toronto and Jack Cable have have potentially moved on. That there's been little to no discussion regarding negotiations. Uh, so, so I'll bring it back to you, Scott, and hopefully got some insight for this one. Do you feel that Jack Campbell's worth five million dollars? Uh, no, I don't think he's worth that. I mean, he has been a good starter for us this season. I mean, you can't attribute the whole thing to him, but obviously he helped in. In some of the games where they led the, the this team led the Leafs to the best statistical season they've ever had, um, and he has played well the season before that, and and then as the backup role, and then fighting Anderson for the starter role in the the years whatever years those were, but I don't I don't if if you didn't want to give Freddie Anderson five point three or whatever his contract is currently with Carolina whatever he signed for, and he, he's a better goalie in my opinion anyway than Jack Campbell. Uh, why would you why would you give Jack Campbell five to five and a half? Like Anderson was a better goalie at the time. There was that moment there at the end of his time in Toronto where the, co- the coaching staff, if you watch the documentary All or Nothing, uh, seemed kind of fed up with him. They seemed annoyed of his mental health injuries. That could have just been the way the documentary was edited. I don't know. I wasn't actually there. But it seemed like that most of the coaching staff was annoyed with him uh, dealing with these mental health issues instead of being on the ice helping the team. Um, and then there was a lot of, uh, not necessarily a lot of, but a lot of talk amongst fans of of not bringing him back because he isn't a playoff performer or, or he's injury prone or whatever the, the, the reason was. 
And then in traditional Toronto fan fashion, they once the player leaves, they clamor for them to bring them back and blame the GM for getting rid of them. See Nazem Kadri, Tyler Bozak, Zach Hyman, etc. But yeah, if if you weren't willing to give Freddie Anderson five point three whatever his contract was is with Carolina, and he was the better goalie, then I don't see them giving Jack Campbell the five million. And obviously, it's inflated the season they've had. As I mentioned, the best statistical season the Leafs have ever had as a team, not individual points. And then um, him coming off like the starting role, the the, the guy, the number one goalie. So the, the 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 figure might be a bit inflated by his agent. But yeah, I don't I don't see them giving him five million. I don't even see them giving him four million. If if he wants anything over three and a half, I don't think they're signing him. Yeah, the, the biggest issue that I have with all players in the NHL right now is the comparable figures that they they put out during um, uh, contract negotiations. So he'll his comparable based on this season would be say Binghamton. Uh, I don't even maybe John Gibson at that at that figure, but at the same time, uh, Binghamton's won a Stanley Cup. And John Gibson's been a what? What's he play? Fifty games, sixty games a year, almost like what? In between forty and sixty, and Jack Campbell played. What? I don't even know what number he played, but he he he's injury prone, which I think should play a factor in the negotiations. But instead, his like as you said, his agent will just inflate the number to a comparable that they think that he's worth, which he'll get. Like I'm sure there's a team that'll get it. But here's the thing: I would do if I was Toronto, and say. Detroit or uh, let's just say Detroit for for lack of argument. Uh, Detroit's interested. I would I would call Detroit and give give Jack Campbell freedom to to speak to other teams. Uh, but I don't know exactly how the process works. So let's just say they report back to him and, and Detroit's in team interested. I would call Detroit and say. How would a deal work for Nadelkovich for Jack Campbell? Maybe you bring in a prospect, maybe you bring back a pick, and then you can use Nadelkovich for either another trade piece or potentially your starter next year or potentially a backup and then go on and sign or trade for another goalie. Um, because, like, not that Jack Campbell is Zach Hyman, but look what Zach Hyman did. He signed when they could have done the sign and trade. You know what I mean? Yeah. They could have traded their rights. And I think that Jack Campbell is a little bit too valuable to just let walk. But at the same time, like, like the Detroit, I mean, Detroit might be a bad example because they have Sebastian Coza or Kaza um, coming. But Koza yeah, I, I mean, whatever, yeah. yeah, but I mean, um, like, you mean like, pardon? you know, I, uh, you can, you can end, you I, can take, I over. never understood the, I mean, from the other team's perspective, anyway, like the Zach Hyman or this example, not saying that they won't do it or they shouldn't have done it. It's just from Edmonton or Detroit's point of view, it doesn't make sense for them to trade when they could just wait for the guy to become a free agent and then and then sign him. They don't have to give up anything. Like and like, not even just you bringing it up, but like last year with Zach Hyman, like there was a lot of talk of Toronto Edmonton making a trade for him. It wasn't just Leafs fans saying like oh, you should trade him to Edmonton, whatever. Like, insiders were saying, like, they're working on a deal to get Zach Hyman over there, and then it fell through, if I remember correctly. But from Edmonton's point of view, it, it just didn't make sense. Why would you give up pieces to get a free agent? 
that you have to sign when you could just wait until he becomes a free agent and then sign him and not have to give up anything. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I and wouldn't then, do it, obviously, but... Yeah, and then if this happens again with Jack Campbell, not saying it is, but our hypothetical, like from Detroit was the example, so we'll use Detroit again. It just it doesn't make sense from their perspective, unless they obviously have a log game at goalie and you do a sign-and-trade with the Leafs where they give them the contract and then you, you trade them. But it just, I don't, I don't know. From the other team's perspective, it just never made sense to me as to why they would trade for a guy who needs a contract when they could just wait for him to become a free agent and give him the contract. That's valid. I, I mean, you're, you're 100% right on that. So um, I just think that Toronto can't walk into next season without a bona fide starter. And if they're not going to yeah. get, like, I mean, obviously they'll have a plan if Jack can't believe it would just be nice for them to, to maybe swindle a deal with another team and try and get someone in return for giving up or for moving Jack Campbell, you know? Yeah. I don't, I don't see them walking into next year without a, I mean, it may not be the, the best number one goalie in the league, but I, I, next year, whether through trade or there's a couple options in free agency that put, potentially could have a better season than Jack Campbell would. I, I don't see them coming into next year with, with two guys who they're expected to use as a tandem um, or even just two guys who are known backups that they, they have to rely on to be the starter. I feel like they're going to, whether it's through trade and giving up someone they might not necessarily want to give up, like obviously on the level of Matthews, Tavares, Nylander, but maybe Kerfoot, maybe Sandino Lilligren to, to get that goalie or, or taking a chance on on, on one of the goalies who are the bigger name goalie free agents and then using them as a starter, hoping that they can have a bounce back year or, or have a continued uh, success if it's a, a guy who had a good year last year. Um, I guess it is to be continued on the goaltending uh, front. Um, I think that now bigger things will happen once they sign a goaltender, uh, goalie coach, sorry. Um, so with that said, in all that discussion, in terms of cap, Scott, Ju- uh, Justin Hall's name was added to the trade bait board at Daily Faceoff. There's been rumors about Jake Muzzin trade. There's been rumors about Pete Morazic trade. If Toronto could clear $15 million in cap this year, who would be the number one free agent that you'd go after? Would it be like, a, you don't need to name the player unless you want to, but would it be a goalie? Would you go via trade for a goalie? Would you go for a top I, six forward, a defenseman? I don't, uh, I mean, if it's just strictly free agent, I think they go forward because they already have the the defense. Like they have Riley, they have Brody, they have Giordano, they have Sandine, they have the and you could sign someone to be that sixth guy, seventh guy, just to fill the plug, the veteran physical that everybody wants them to have. Um, and then you could, you could. There's, there's. I think there's better goalies that are open that have, are are talked about being traded or incorporated in trades, like John Gibson, than there are free agents. So I feel like that you Toronto would probably try to trade before they look at the goalie free agent. So I think that they go forward. Uh, with Spezza gone, with Mikheyev potentially leaving, with uh, Kerfoot potentially leaving if they have to give him up in a trade for a goalie or defense or whatever trades they make, um, with uh, potentially, what's his name, um, 
the guy, concussion guy. Oh, Kasha? Yeah, if they don't don't work on a deal with him and he becomes a free agent, if if they're not going to use Simmons or Clifford as much next year as they they did in the past couple years, especially for the case of Simmons, then I feel like there's there's more holes on forward that they need to fill than there are uh, on defense and potentially goalie, because you could always just fall back on maybe not the best starter goalie in the league, but a, a proven starter veteran who can who can lead you for a year until you you can find someone else to fill that hole. Well, uh, I don't know the validity of this either, but I heard that Toronto and Cash are making some headway on a contract extension, and I know that you, when I told you that, you weren't too happy about it. I don't. I don't. I don't know. He's an RFA, so they. I don't know what the qualifying offer would be, but I would imagine that would probably be two or three million dollars a year for what they're offering, or maybe less. Yeah. And like, don't get me wrong. When Casha was playing, I, I liked him. Like, I thought he was a good in the role that they gave him. I just don't see why they they, they could sign someone to play that exact same role who isn't injury prone, who hasn't missed three quarters or plus of the last five years because of concussions and injuries. Like, you could easily just not give him a contract and and let him go to free agency, which I mean sucks for him. Obviously, because he he obviously needs the money to support his family if he has one or himself, whatever the case may be. But there's other players in free agency who who could play the same role of the thirty point guy on the third line, who who you could sign potentially for less money than what the the deal they were getting. But instead, that I don't know, they're focused on re-signing him. And if they re-sign him and he gets injured again, then they're in the same boat they were this year, where they have to plug the the hole he he left behind. Yeah, it's uh, well. I mean, let's let's get into this a little bit. So, I I, I released an article yesterday since we're talking about free agents. Uh, my top five free agents that I think Toronto should should uh, look at for targets. Number one was Josh Manson. Two was Natrushkin. Uh, three was Tyler Mott. Four is Josh Brown. Um, and five was uh, Andrew Cogliano. If you had to move out Kasha. And you could use the $2 million that you're going to sign for him. And you brought in, say, uh, let's just say Tyler Mott for, I put 175. Would you do that? Because Tyler Mott, obviously, um, he, I think he has an injury pass, but he he plays a a unique style where he's could be on a, a, the defensive role. Like he doesn't average more than probably 20 points a year, but he, he plays a good shutdown style game more defensive would you think about that or would you choose cash over a guy like tyler mott well yeah i mean that's the problem though is like even cash like next year he could not get hurt and he could put up 40 points obviously the leafs are hoping that that's the case but in his case he is incredibly injury prone where in the last what four years i think he's besides this year the most games he ever played in a season but in the last couple years was what 20 yeah, so something I, like that or less. I don't see why you would take – and then this year, again, they signed him hoping that he wouldn't get injured, and then he did get injured and missed the last part of the season and then almost the whole playoffs, I'm pretty sure, if I remember. I don't think – I think he played, what, one game in the playoffs? If any, I don't remember. Uh, Two, I think, on the last line. I think he came – maybe three. I think he came in when Clifford – or Spezza left. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and he played like eight Spezza. minutes. 
And then yeah, you uh, won the last line, yeah, yeah. So I, I I just don't see why you would take the chance. Uh, Tyler Mott. I mean, I'm not exactly incredibly familiar with him, but if he has an injury prone history or injury history, I think on his, the to level, be honest, it's more he he's missed more time with mental illness. Okay, but if if he's on the level injuries. of Kasha, then no, I wouldn't give him a contract. But if he's missed like a week in the season here. And then the season before that, he missed like 20 games, like a regular player thing. Then, yeah, I would, I'd take a chance on him over Kasha. Strictly because Kasha is, of all the players in the league, one of the most injury-prone injury players. Like there was the beginning of yeah. the year where like like the first 10 games of the season, he left every game after getting hit. I mean, he came back to those games, but like oh, yeah. you need just always laying on the, the ice. Game? Yeah, after getting bumped in the corner or body checked or whatever, he would lay on the ice and then go to the locker room and then come back. And obviously the Leafs are thinking, oh, crap, like we wasted money on the guy because now he's hurt again, and then he comes back. And then he did play most of the season, but then he got hurt in that uh, hit to the head or, yeah, where he, the ref didn't blow the whistle and he had to crawl to the bench. Um, but like, I, I don't know. I wouldn't take a chance. If, if, if the player... In this case, it would tie them out, which he doesn't. But if the player that they're looking at has a, a history of injuries, like on on the level of Andre Kasha, I I wouldn't even consider them. I would just move on to someone else. Okay, so then uh, taking that in consideration, would and I'll, I'll throw this to another another um, note on our, our rumor mill uh, page here. Sam Ghani has been rumored to be. Uh, connected with the Leafs, he's one of John Farris' best friends. Grew up with them. Um, now, I made the connection in my article to an Andrew Cogliano connection with Gagne from Edmonton, both playing a last line role. And my last line in that article or in that uh, piece was with Blackwell, Sam Gagne at Blackwell and Andrew Cogliano. That line is small. Like, it would be a small, like, they're not big men, but they all play the same style. They all would all play a defensive uh, role. And, I, and I've mentioned this to you in the group chat that we have with Kyle, that I think Toronto's focus for the bottom six should be more defensive. So then the the top six can just worry about playing their game and not having to play shut down. Um, uh, um, called their, uh, uh, matchup, matchup game. Like when you're playing John Tavares to shut down the other team's top line, when you have David Kampf and Ingvald and say, uh, I don't know, blank Robertson to do that, you know? But if you had a last line that yeah. goes on there and kills penalties, goes on there and block shots, you could trust in the last minute of the game. And then you're done with the experiment of bringing in Kyle Clifford, who you can use as the 13th or Wayne Simmons, and you just go out there and play your game. Like, I, I, I don't know. I don't know exactly how people would like that or if Kyle Dubas would like that, but. I think the experiment, if you look at New, uh, Colorado, if you look at the the team they have, their last line is literally Darren Helm and Andrew Cogliano on the line with whomever. Like yeah. They have that same style, and they send them out in late in games to block shots. Like, Would you prefer that over? Like, I know Kyle, if he was here, he would say big, tough guys all the yeah. time. But I mean, I... Would you prefer a Wayne Simmons, Kyle Clifford, or would you prefer a shutdown block shot trust on a late game? I... Uh, I mean, I've been, I think you know this. I've been pretty vocal about the Leafs don't need too much of the old school style Wayne Simmons type players. I feel like 
even on a good day, they they don't really do much with the team. There was when Wayne Simmons the first year he was here the first half season before he got hurt, he played really well. But then since then, offensively wise, he hasn't really done much. Uh, and then in the playoffs this year, they just proved to be. And then even late season, they they just proved to be a liability because every time they were on the ice, every time they tried to get involved in a scrum, they were just getting penalties, which which kind of hurt the team. So I'd I'd rather have a defensive minded guy. And even then, like Blackwell's still a hitter. Like he's still body checks when he is on the fourth. Yeah. He's still, even though he's a small guy. So you don't necessarily need a guy who's six foot five, two hundred fifty pounds to go out there and hit. And then even add on to the even then, at the end of last year, going into the playoffs, the Tampa Bay series, like Matthews and Martin were throwing hits. So the the team can hit. It just they don't always. And then the guys that they do have to hit became liabilities because their reputation got the best of them. Of among the the referees, and they were just getting penalties, which cost the team. Um, so yeah, I I'd, I'd rather have defensive minded guys who can go out late game, block shots, dig in the corners, whatever you need them to do, so that the the top six can focus on the scoring. And I just want to touch on your, I I don't think that they're going to get both Cogliano and Gagne. I know in in your um, article you you may have mentioned both, and you mentioned that line. I don't know if you meant they were going to get both at the same time or just one or the other, but I think it's going to be one or the other, and then the one will probably more than likely be Sam Gagne. And if you're going with Sam Gagne on the last line with Blackwell, then I think that they're going to put Robertson with them. I've heard Kerfoot. Robertson. I've heard Robertson has a walk-on spot to the top six. Uh, I mean, maybe, but I think they need to sign someone for that top six to fill out the roster. So, I think that the yeah. third line will the third line will more likely be Engvall, Camp, and Kerfoot if they don't move them. And I mean, I like Robertson. I think he could be a good player with the team if when he's given the chance. If next year's the chance, but if you're going, I feel like he could play well on the line with Blackwell and Gagne to start the season, as opposed to trying to be the offensive powerhouse that he'll probably try to to be on the line with Nylander and Tavares. Where he'll he'll mess up defensive checks, or or miss defensive plays because he's so focused on trying to keep up with them offensively. Well, I've I actually, um, I actually kind of forgot about uh, Kerfoot, but I I I have heard I have seen people say that that Nick Robertson's kind of his spots solidified in the in the top six, but I also have heard people say that they anticipate William Nylander being on the third line and not necessarily that it will be a third line because he'll probably play as much on the second line, but they think that he will have more success driving his own line with a camp in Ingvall or whomever you put there. But one person, like I wrote about this, obviously these are the play, these are the people that I think Kyle's mentioned it. I mentioned, you mentioned it. I think Val, Valerie Nutrushkin would be a good option. He's a big guy. So that that would help their power play, like, and he's not he's not one hundred percent physical, but he's a big dude. He's like six four, two twenty, who can get in the goalie's face. He's skilled. Um, yeah, he had fifty two, fifty two, fifty three points, and this guy was a buy on option, um, and Colorado took him on, and now he's coming off, I think, two million, one million, something like that. I would probably push four and a half million dollars to him. And try and put him on a line with 
he like he he could dig in the corners even if it's with Kerfoot and it's Kerfoot Tavares and Natrushkin. Like, I think Tavares needs someone that can just do all of the work and just get him the puck so then he doesn't feel that because he's slow. You know, yeah. like he if he goes in the corner, there's not probably a chance that he's going back into the play right away. So if if you provide him with just the lane, and even if you do what people suggested, like okay, he moves to the left wing after the draws one and Kerfoot takes the center center ice position because he's faster, you know. I mean, Natrushkin doesn't need to be it. There's also a mini Natrushkin. Some people call him Natrushkin Light, who's available. And I mentioned this earlier too was Jesse Pugliarvi from Edmonton. Apparently, they're prioritizing Kaler, uh, Kaler, Yamanoto, or whatever his name is, over Pugliarvi. Yeah. He's kind of fallen out of favor. He, okay. uh, according to Jay Fresh, yeah, according to Jay Fresh, he's basically on pace to be exactly what Nishushkin would be now uh, at this point in his career. He's young. He's 23. Yeah. It might take a package to get him. But if you could send Edmonton, say, uh, I don't know, Kerfoot, Morassic, whomever you could get, plus, you know, work on a deal centered around whomever they would want. I wouldn't mind that. You'd have another guy who you could lock up for a cheaper contract for a couple of years. Only 23 yeah. could be a vital part of the team. I don't know. Um, and, and Edmonton needs depth. And not that Toronto doesn't need depth forwards. But like, Drysaddle and McDavid had like 65 points combined. The only other person, the only other two people on their team that were forwards that scored were, were Zach, uh, Zach Hyman and Evander Kane. So if you yeah. could swap uh, Pugliarvi and Alex Kerfoot, I don't know. Uh, um, you could provide the team a little bit of a different uh, view. Yeah, I mean, I could see him fitting on paper at least. Who knows when they actually get and start playing if, if he's actually a fit because there's numerous times where the, the scouts see him and they're like, he'd be good in this role or that role. And that role, and then the fans see the lineup and they're like, oh, it's going to be great. And then the player doesn't necessarily turn out in that role that they want him to play, which has happened in Edmonton with him a few times, I think, where the the fans expected him to be that thing and then he didn't be that thing. And then the coach wanted to be one thing and he didn't didn't turn out to be that thing. So now they're looking to move him. But, and I do agree that a digger may be the best option for that second line. I, I don't see them. I mean, not that I don't see them. I, I don't understand why they're so insistent on moving Nylander to the third line by himself. When most of the year, like he had a great, great year, and most of the year he was playing with Tavares. It wasn't until the end of the season where he, he moved to that third line, and then a bit in the playoffs where he was, and then everybody's where he was like playing well, and everybody started saying like, "Yeah, I need to give him his own line." If there was another player who was offensively gifted on that line, not necessarily just David Camp and Pierre Engvall, because um, with those two players you're even if Nylander was on Tavares' line but with those two players specifically I think he's going to go through a stretch of the season where nothing's happening because David Camp isn't an offensive player and Pierre Engvall is so streaky with his points where he goes 20 games without getting one and then he goes 10 games with one and every game and then he goes yeah. another 20 games without getting one so I, I don't see him if, if that is the line and that was a hypothetical obviously by us you could throw Kerfoot down there whatever but I don't I I I feel like you need to keep him with Tavares. And then if the digger is that option, I, digger probably works best. Nylander to, to be the, the centerpiece of the offense on that line. 
Tavares to be more of, and you may need to talk to him about this, more of a net front, um, not not a digger, but like a stand in front of the net, get the dirty goal, like a John Tavares, or John Tavares, John Van Riemsdyk when he was on the Leafs. Uh, get nope, the rebound James goal. Van Riemsdyk. <laughs> no, John Van Riemsdyk, because that's what he <laughs> Oh, good cover up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> get, get the garbage goals, get the, the rebound goals. You could skate on and shoot it from the slot, whatever, if if the if you have space. But I, And the digger may help with that. But on that line, I think you, you need another, and that similar to what I said about the third line, I think you need another offensive-minded forward. Because, like you said, Tavares, I mean, not that he's super old, but he's one of the older players on the Leafs, and he's not very fast. And it seems like this year it was it was more prevalent that he, I mean, I don't want to say can't keep up, but he kind of gets outclassed by speed with a lot of players. And he seems at times to be on a position because the play, the, the play seems to be moving by him. So I feel like if you add another player similar to a Nylander, but a bit more, maybe Nichushkin is that player. I don't, I don't really know Nichushkin that well. But like a, a fast playmaker who could, who could control the puck, to play with Nylander, and then Tavares can more focus on being in position, be the defensive forward on that line, stand in the net, get the garbage goals. I think that may work out well too, as opposed to getting I, the, a digger who can just get them the puck. I think the player that you're looking for then in that situation, who's available, is an Andre Burkowski. Speedster can control play, scores well, offense. He doesn't threat. necessarily have to be super fast. No, but, I'm just, I'm just but like, like I'm describing like a, him as a player. player. Can, yeah, but I mean, like when I said like a player like Nylander, fast, who can control play. I didn't necessarily mean fast like Nylander. Not that that's why you brought up Burkowski, but he he just needs to be quicker than Tavares, <laughs> which I mean. Won't be hard. If you listen to what people are saying, yeah, it isn't necessarily a hard thing to do. But and like when we when Blackwell came to the team, we said put him on the line with Tavares and Nylander because he he could be the bunting of that line. But if you can get Nichuskin and you can yeah. try to convince him to take a bit of a pay cut, so you're not paying him five, you're paying him four. Uh, then yeah, that that then you don't need necessarily need Blackwell to play above his means, and 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 try to get sixty points on that line where he could focus more on his defensive play on the last line. Then yeah, that that that's a solution. But to me anyway, it seems like you need another uh, offensive minded, control the puck type player on that line. So Tavares doesn't have to worry about doing, even though he doesn't necessarily have to do everything, but he seems to be focused on wanting to do everything on his line. But if you get another player like Nylander, who is more focused on puck control, as because Nylander isn't always focused on puck control, then that takes the pressure off Nylander and Tavares. And then you can kind of readjust Tavares' role, and then Nylander can do Nylander. Yeah, I, I would even go as far as say Nylander on the second line with uh, whomever and move Tavares. Instead of moving Nylander down to the third line, move Tavares, kick, kick Tavares in the ass and tell him, like, you're the captain, you're making 11 mil. Uh, you're going to find some time on the third line. You're going to demote your minutes and then allow Nylander, who's one of the main people forget this, but he was one of the main three who they're supposed to build this team around before Tavares. Like he, he Nylander is not the fourth person on this team. He was here before Tavares. And that's what pisses me off the most about least nation. 
It seems like people are just at will to dispose of Nylander because he's the he's the other person. Like, no, he's not the other person. He was actually the first person that yeah. they're going to build this team around. And he's proven that he can do it. Like, I mean, he's not the centerpiece of the team, obviously, Matthews and Marner are. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't not, like, many people are choosing Nylander. Like, other other fan bases are saying they'd want Nylander, so. Yeah. But just uh, Just quick. quickly. Pardon me? I just have a question about, if you move Tavares down to the third line, would that not then create the same problem as moving Nylander to the third line? Unless you yeah, sign well, someone to be the would. second line center, but of course, but, but if you I move mean, to Varys, in, in reality, then, pardon. So if if you move to Varys to the third line, then who are you, in your opinion, who plays with Nylander on the second line? Like, do you I, w- bring I would bring in a guy get, to play like, center for Kerfoot Nylander. Do you put Robertson there and then sign no, a center? I, w- to play I would with personally Nylander put. I would personally put Tavares, or sorry, uh, Kerfoot, and sign like a Nitrushkin or uh, Burkowski, someone of that caliber who's like second tier, third tier, um, and then and then like when when John Tavares was injured in that playoff series, Kerfoot played well at center. Yeah, like he can do it. So, Neiland is a natural so, center too. So yeah. So then, uh, but on Tavares' line, wing? I would, I would put Camp on. Truthfully, I put Camp on the last line. And and yeah. do like what uh, St. Louis did in 2017 with Steen, uh, Barbashev, and uh, Sunquist. Don't call it a last line. Don't let the media call it a last line. Don't degrade these players or demote these players. Put Camp with say Robertson and Ingvall on the last line, say, and then re-sign Blackwell and put Blackwell with John Tavares and say Sam Gagne if you bring him in or what whatever combination you want of those players, and and just make it known to John Tavares that yeah you're a point per player. What a point point per play, a point per game player. Sorry, um, but at the same time, like if you're going to demote Nylander to, even if you're not giving him less minutes, but if you're going to consider him a third line player on your team, eventually he's probably going to get sick and tired of it. And what would you yeah. rather lose in this situation? That's my opinion, at least. Like I, I know people would say, like you're saying, put them both together. Some people would say, who cares about Nylander? Uh, some people were saying it's easier to move his contract. Yeah, but. In my opinion, I would I would make John Tavares want to move. Not that he would, but I would make John Tavares want to move over pleasing John Tavares and letting Nylander move. Oh yeah, I agree. That's just my opinion. And I'm I'm not necessarily necessarily saying that they they need to play together. I'm just saying like I don't see the unless they sign someone in free agency. I, I I don't understand why they would when the players who you currently have on your slide into your third line aren't going to help Nylander in any way. Which, if you move Tavares down there, then it's probably a better setup because Nylander isn't the best defensive forward and Tavares is a bit better defensively than Nylander is, or better defensively yeah. in general. But I just I don't see... And then you also have the Tavares problem where if you move him down with... And those players don't produce because the bottom six in Toronto are, are really streaky players where they go on runs where they get points and then they don't go... They go on runs where they don't get points as opposed to the top six who... Well, it's specifically Matthews Marner because I guess there's times where Nylander Tavares aren't scoring, but it seems like yeah. there's a, a a contrast between the top six who are expected to put up points and and then get sixty to to hundred points a season, and then the bottom six that get ten points here, then go on a streak of twenty games where they don't get a point and then get ten more, and then 
So yeah, and you, you could solve that by signing a guy to play with them. Yeah, but I, don't know, you, I just you could. To me, it, it would it'd make more sense for them to play together again on the second line as opposed to having to shuffle around everybody else to fit Tavares and Nylander on their own lines. I I agree with that. I just think, in my opinion, uh, John Tavares, when he came here, he was that guy who shut down the offensive uh, threats of the, ne- of the other team. Blackwell, defensive, Sam Gagne, I think uh, could help rejuvenize just based on them being friends and kind of familiarity of playing together all those years and uh, and junior and stuff. I think that there could be some chemistry there if you did bring Sam Gagne in. It doesn't need to be Sam Gagne. It could literally be Nick Robertson. Like it, it doesn't need to be. It could be Ingball. Um, I just think that if you if you left the bottom six as more defensive and John Tavares will score. Like I'm not saying he's not going to score sixty points, but he's still going to get power play one time. He's probably still going to get some top minutes he's going to see three on three. He's probably going to see some offensive uh, draws with the second unit or sorry, second line in replace of whomever's there. I just think that maybe instead of like, as a coach's perspective, instead of looking at Nylander as Nylander needs to go because Nylander can drive his own line. Well, why don't you give Nylander 19 minutes or 18 minutes and give John Tavares maybe 15 or 16 you know, split those minutes up. So then you're actually like, I, I understand what people are saying. Like knee Leonard really didn't play that little or less on the third line as he did on the second line. It just, I don't know. It just doesn't sit well with me. The fact that there could be a chance that this team and these fans could run knee Leonard out of town. One. Yeah. I would, I would prefer really John Tavares's contract to be moved. Yeah. I, I think a lot of the Nylander, and not this isn't you because I know you, you 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 said that you don't necessarily prefer him on his own line, but a lot of the people who want him on his own line are are recency bias, where the last two weeks of the season and then the bit in the playoffs where he was on his own line and he played well, coming off a stretch where he was with Tavares and and wasn't necessarily playing the best, I feel like that plays a lot in their minds where because of those seven eight games, and then the four or in the playoffs, whatever, how many he played by himself on his own line, it's more in there, prevalent in their mind because it it happened more recently than the previous 100-plus games he played with Tavares and and scored 80-plus points or whatever, right? Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, Just quick here, we're going to get a word from our sponsor, and then we're going to go back into it. We have some around-the-league news, um, as well as just some more Leafs talk, so... uh... Give us five, write down this promo code, and uh, we'll be right back. And now a quick word from our show sponsors and friends of Inside the Rink. BetUS. BetUS has your NHL, NBA, UFC, PGA, and yes, NFL betting lineups for the 27th year of live betting. Sign up for BETUS.com with promo code RINK for your 125% sign-up bonus. Again, use the promo code RINK for your 125% sign-up bonus. Play with a proven mainstay in the industry. Bet US. You bet, you win, you get paid. BetUS.com uh, So, I mean, the players are almost over, so try and try and win some uh, some cash before it ends. Um, 
yeah, bet us. Use the promo code uh, rink and and win some dollars. Uh, as we mentioned before the break, obviously the recency bias of Nylander on his own line and and what we would set up and how would we set up the lineup. Um, the one thing that we kind of failed to 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 kind of incorporate was Cash is still Toronto's rights. Like Toronto, sorry, uh, Toronto still has Cash's rights, so there could be a resign there. It's not a hundred percent confirmed, but it seems as though Toronto and McKayev have kind of ended talks. Uh, Blackwell also is a UFA. Um, and going back to that article that I wrote, there was some uh, defensive ideas that I had that I'll, I'll bring up here before we get into the rest of the uh, around the uh, league news. Uh, I think Toronto should stop worrying so much about having a toughness up front, as I mentioned before, and try and bring that toughness down on the back end where it's harder to play against these guys. Uh, one of the guys that suggested was, I believe he's 30 or 29, Josh Manson. Um, and it's funny because when I put out the article, someone commented on Facebook, calling me an idiot or something, saying Josh Manson already said that he wouldn't come here via trade. That was via trade. That was when Justin Hall was supposed to be the top-line guy and the most offensive-minded defenseman that's ever played this game. <laughs> Things have changed. Players typically, when they when they give their no trade clause every July 1st or every June 30th, 30th or June 29th, whenever it's typically the same year after year, because those teams that are, are on those trade, uh, trade, um, no trade lists are typically teams that they prefer no destination, uh, or they're, uh, contending teams like Toronto was and, or is, and they have already set up that positional structure that they are, uh, I think Josh Manson could be the right-handed defenseman that we need on the top line. Physical, gritty, defensive-minded, can score. He scored two big goals in the playoffs this year for Colorado. He's got playoff experience, and the draw of having Josh Manson could also draw a potential John Gibson, which I think would be interesting. And some people are going to ask how that's going to happen down the right side. Get rid of uh, Justin Hall. I would personally get rid of Jake Muzzin. I know I'm jumping on the bandwagon. Everyone else who says that, but his contract's too much now. And I saw some interesting tweet today. I think it was supposed to be sarcasm, but it kind of made sense. TJ Brody's 32, and he makes just under $6 million. Realistically, he could be an option of, of, a, of, a, of a trade, too. I know he plays a good defensive style, and I know then we're kind of thin on defense, but you could then like in a year or two years before his contract's over in the last year, year and a half, you could potentially move him out to bring in someone else who's better. Uh, or maybe Lilligren fits that role a little bit better. Like there is a lot of money tied up in the back end too. Um, I don't know what Josh Manson would want. I think I said my article five for two years or three years. I don't know what your thoughts on that is. Um, obviously he's not the savior, but he could be a good option. Yeah, I, I could see him coming in and being a solid uh, second pair guy. If you're moving Muzzin and and Hall, which all indications are that they're they're planning on it, I could see him fitting on that second line with with a Sandine or Brody. If you bring back Labushkin, who plays with Riley, if they do that again. Uh, but yeah, I could see him coming in and being a solid fit for the Leafs. Adds that, like you said, grit, but also adds stability on the back end because he is a a good defenseman who. Who knows how to play the game the right way? 
and it, it, it's also a good mentor role for the other guys who, although haven't really been given a chance in the, the case of Sandy and Lilligren, have Riley, Brody, uh, they had Muzzin if they move him, uh, Giordano, and then Josh Manson. Like, those are good guys to learn from. So, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be opposed yeah. to bringing him in. I just His $5 million is a bit much if you need well, to sign. If if they bring Campbell back for $5 million, then they'll have to move probably Kerfoot if they, if they want to clear up cap for other players. Yeah, all these other, signings that I've talked about are, are, are potentially hypotheticals if they don't bring back the guys that they are – losing on UFA. Yeah. I should have mentioned that. Uh, but yeah, you're right. Um, but th- since you mentioned that, let me ask your opinion on this one because I thought this was a little interesting. He's my fourth on the list. And I thought about it because size. But then when I was writing the little blurb on him, I thought, damn, this could actually work. Say it's say your defensive core is Morgan Riley, TJ Brody, or sorry, uh, Morgan Riley, um, Labushkin, uh, left, who's the left? Uh, Sandine Lilligren, uh, Sandine TJ Brody, and uh, Giordano and Lilligren. Okay, you trade Jake Muzzin, you trade Justin Hall. You know who I would bring in for a seventh defenseman? Well, you might actually know because I think I told you this. Do you know Josh, Josh Brown? Josh Brown, six hey, foot five. Did I? You mentioned him earlier, yeah, on your when you listed off your top five. You, you oh, okay, him. well. Okay, well, good news. Everyone already knows I look like an idiot. Nothing, nothing's <laughs> changed. Uh, anyways, six foot five, two hundred thirty-five pounds or two hundred forty pounds or whatever he is. Huge dude, plays physical. And here's the catch: he's coming off a contract worth like one point one five or one point two five, and he really hasn't produced at that level. Which makes me think Toronto could get him for eight hundred, nine hundred thousand. Yeah. The other thing is, he's legitimately. Probably a, a a lesser Labushkin, which everyone loves Labushkin for what he brings—a physical edge that's hard to play against. Could you imagine if you had a guy in your back pocket who could play thirty games a season, or potentially more, but who could fill in for roles, who's a cheap option, who can come in and just annihilate guys with his size, have a long stick? Yeah. And I, I understand uh-huh. why people say I, that's all. <laughs> people all say that uh, it's a pure Maguire pun, by the way, if anyone's listening. Uh, Google search that it up on YouTube. Unless you're like under the age 18, then don't search it up because you'll probably get in trouble. Well, yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, obviously people say that about Justin Hall too, but I just think Josh Brown has shown that he can be a little bit more physical than uh, uh, Justin Hall. Uh, but in in that, you would be bringing in Labushkin for, say, one and a half, two, and you'd be bringing in jo- uh, Josh Brown for less than a million to a million. So you'd be bringing in around three to $3.5 million and bringing guys who can play physical, but then you're losing the chance of, like, Jake Muzzin or potentially a chance on Josh Manson or whomever you're going to fill in that role. Yeah. Like, I, and I, 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 th- I think that's what they're going to – the least are more inclined to do is bring in that guy who, who can be a physical presence when he's on the ice, but is more of a six, seven guy, not saying that Josh Brown is that, but someone who is more inclined to be a bottom pair or extra who can fill in when guys are out of the lineup. Uh, and if you can do all that, sign Labushkin, sign Lilligren and Sandine, if they re- need new contracts this year, I th- think they do. Yeah. 
Yeah, there are phase. And then bring uh, Josh Brown or whoever in all for like five million, while moving out Justin Hall and Jake Muzzin for six seven million. I think then that that's that's just a bonus because they already said that Sandino Lilligren are expected to get more playing time, which means that uh, Riley Brody Muzz or Giordano Lilligren Sandine are probably going to be five of your six. And then if you re-sign Labushkin, then he's probably going to be on that line with Riley because I thought they played well together. And then that leaves you with your extra option. And if the case is Josh Brown, then it's Josh Brown. If not, then it's someone else to fill in for if Sandine has a bad night and they take him out of a game or Lilligan has a bad night or Labushkin has a bad night or whoever. Uh, I feel like they're more inclined to go with it, that type of option instead of someone on the level of Josh Manson, which it'd be nice to have Josh Manson, don't get me wrong. But as based on what Dubis and Shanahan and everybody said uh, uh, leading up to this point, uh, it seems more inclined, uh, more likely that they're going to go for that bottom pair extra guy who can add physicality and, and play the minutes when needed as opposed to someone who can come in and, and be a top four. Yeah, that's that's kind of like what I was going for in this. And when I was writing the article, as, I, as you know, I, I kind of told you already, um, I was kind of going for guys that I think Dubas would bring in. That's why I only yeah. had two bigger name players in Manson and Trushkin, just because we could use another top four defensive for Gavrid, Jake Muzzin, and we could use another top six guy. Um, but yeah, you're you're right. I think that's the kind of area that we're going to focus on a little bit uh, on the back end. I think that we're kind of, as much as people don't want to admit it, I think that Charles might be a little bit set for defense. I mean, there's also like a, as a door offer, a Branson, and, and people might be saying, oh, we want them, we want them. The reason why I didn't add them, to this list was be based on the fact that they are probably going to be re-signed by their respective teams. And also the other person that I, I was mentioned to Scott that was available was Ben Sherratt as a replacement to Jake Muslin. But what's the point of getting rid of Jake? I understand there is a point because Jake Muslin's a little bit older than Ben Sherratt. But like, if you're going to keep or get rid of Ben or Jake Muslin for Ben Sherratt, you might as well just keep Jake Muslin because Ben Sherrod's going to be just as much, if not more. Yeah. Whereas I think like if you're getting Josh Manson, he might be five or $6 million for a year or two, but he might be able to bring something else, which could be stability to Morgan Riley, which he hasn't really had pretty much ever. Yeah. I, th- um, I think with the Leafs defense, as it's currently, if they resign the Bushkin, obviously Sandy and Lil- and are probably going to get contracts. And then with Giordano, Brody, Riley, I think the, the biggest thing that they're worried about is ifs. Like, if Labushkin plays, not that he played super well, but if he plays on the level he played this year when they since they acquired him, if Sandine can step up his offensive game and become an, another offensive option on defense, if Lilligren can continue his defensive progression with Giordano and, and become a solid defender defensively, um, I feel like those are those are big issues that if they don't happen, then like the Leafs are going to kind of be looking at it, saying, "Oh crap, we kind of screwed ourselves." Obviously, they're hoping that those happen. Labushkin can, not that he needs to keep up with Riley, but can can play solid defensively on a line with Morgan Riley. And then obviously Lilligren and Sandine need to develop, but it seems they're going in opposite ways now, where Lilligren is more focused on his defensive style. He did get a couple goals and points 
towards the end of the season. But playing with Giordano, it seems that they're becoming more of a shutdown pair. So, and then Sandine is expected to be a, 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 a on par with Morgan Riley in defense if, if he develops the way that he was talked about. But again, those are yeah. the big ifs, right? If it doesn't work out, then you're left with three NHL defensemen and then two guys who aren't developing and then Labushkin who is playing like what should be a last line pair on their top pairing, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Not, not saying that they should just bring in guys to replace them because Lilligren and Sandin need to play. If they don't work out, then yeah, then it's time to move them. But all indication are that they're going to be not superstar defensemen, but at least solid NHL defensemen for the Leafs. But again, yeah, like that's all based on ifs, right? If it doesn't work out, then the Leafs are kind of shooting themselves in the foot. But you also don't want to go out and spend $8 million to bring in an extra three defensemen and then take those spots away because they want them to play. Yeah. Um, just before we get going on to the other areas, because there are some areas that we should touch on, uh, just kind of give you guys a mindset or, or a way of thinking of when I talked to Scott about the players I was going to put in the article. Uh, some other players that are notable that I think Toronto might have interest in, and you can confirm or give your thoughts on. One, I know it's kind of cliche. I don't know if cliche is kind of the word to think. But uh, Nick Paul, because of the things that he did in the playoffs against Toronto, might be some kind of uh, interesting um, acquisition. He was one of the players. Uh, Keith Yandel was another player. Uh, Ryan Dezingo was another player. Just because when they signed him, or when they got him in the deal or whatever, however they got him off waivers or whatever this season, uh, Kyle Dubas said that they had interest in bringing him in a while back. But then they they obviously let him walk and, and waved him, and he got claimed. So I don't know if that is actually legitimate or he just said that. Uh, Nick Delorier, but I don't think he, being from Montreal, will probably sign with Toronto. He wants to stay in the West Coast. Uh, Darren Helm, but I chose Andrew Cogliano and Nick Bukestad. Those were the other players that I kind of – oh, and Mason Marchman. But, I mean, Toronto's not probably going down that road. But, yeah, so there was a lot of options and depth players – that you know, me and Scott just talked about how we think that that's what Kyle Dubas is going to do this uh, offseason. So there is re- legitimately like I don't know twenty players that Toronto could be interested in, even Justin Braun yeah. for that matter. Like there is a lot of players that he could pick from uh, off this list, and they could be a diamond in the rough. So and just real quick before we move on, I, there is another option, and this is a player who was talked about a lot going into the season the beginning of the year, but then as the season progressed, he kind of just stopped being brought up, and that's Josh Jose. Like, everybody expected him oh, to be yeah. the next Alex Galchenyuk, where they sent down the Myers for conditioning. He turned down, they called him up, he became a solid player for them. And I don't know what happened, but it just seemed like there was a point in the season where I, literally everybody just stopped talking about him. Up until, like, I think it was like Christmas, that's all you heard is the Leafs still have Josh Hosang in the minors, expect Josh Hosang to get called up at some point this year. Josh yeah, I noticed Hosang it stopped after the Alaska Olympics. Trainer. Yeah, and then it just stopped and nobody mentioned him. Like, I don't even know how well yeah. he did in the minors, but like nobody brought him up after that. And if it didn't work out, then obviously he's not an option. But if, if he had a relatively good season in the minor, then like you could bring him up to be a bottom six guy for your team and then he'll, yeah. like, he's not going to be expensive. Yeah, I just thought no, it was weird. Yeah. He just popped into my head, and I was like, oh, yeah. like He was talked about a lot 
as the next Galchenyuk pet project kind of thing. And then just, yeah, January, nobody talked about him again after that. That is true. I actually kind of forgot about him. Uh, another guy that Toronto, I think, would be kind of interested in that lower uh, level tier, pick them up for a cheap contract kind of guy. Uh, Nico Sturm was on Minnesota, got traded to Colorado, yeah. and I, I, I don't know. He's played more than four playoff games this season for him or for them. And uh, Sedano Chara, the only reason why I say Sedano Chara is because I find it unique that apparently he had talked to Toronto uh, allegedly talked to Toronto or apparently talked to Toronto two years in a row before signing with different teams. Um, and he is on his way out. So I don't know exactly if he would, but I think that he'll probably end up calling it a, calling it a career. But like Elliot Freeman has mentioned before that he's talked to a lot of teams and Toronto has been on that list. Um, I, I, think so yeah, inter- uh, I think it's interesting to me anyway. This this isn't necessarily about Zero Char. It's about like a Nico Sturm. Is that players who not necessarily were expected to be great NHL players, but they're expected to be NHL players, and then it just situationally based that they don't do well, and then when they move to the right situation and the right team, and then they take off. Like the biggest yeah. example for me, I don't know if a hundred percent true in this case, but Phil Esposito, obviously he's a, a Hall of Famer legend, not even comparable to Nico Sturm, I don't think, but his story is kind of. Uh, where he was on Chicago, and, and I don't know how well he was doing. I don't think he was obviously not as well as he did in Boston. So Chicago kind of just gave up on him, shipped him off to Boston, and then he turned out to be one of the greatest players of all time. So obviously this isn't about Nico Stern, but it's just funny how in the, situ- the right situation, a player can flourish and, and become dominant, whereas in other situations, they, they kind of just falter off and, and, and become non-existent. Yeah. Yeah, and 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 um, I mean, not as as big as Phil Esposito, but that's happened recently. And with even like, not that he's anywhere close to Esposito, but even Michael Bunting, like this guy, barely played fifteen games, twenty games, whatever it was for Arizona. Comes to the least, and now he's a sixty-point player because the environment is right. You know, the system's yeah. right. Um. Another another player, just quick here. I know uh, I've said this three times now, but is Andre Schuster. Uh, he plays for Anaheim. He used to play for Tampa Bay. He's got experience, and he's a huge dude, six foot seven. I just think like the defensive aspect is where Toronto should be looking for more physical players, yeah, me even too. if it's their seventh defenseman to bring in. I think. Instead of wasting a spot for no offense to Wayne Simmons, like I don't know what's going to happen, he could be on the team next year. But I think we've done this experiment, experiment, and it's kind of over. Yeah. Um. All right. Well, let me close down this tab so I don't keep uh, scrolling up and down looking for other names. So we're going to move into some quick uh, pop off uh, headlines, uh, and then we got one other Toronto. Um, uh, rumor topic. that Scott will talk about. Yeah, topic that Scott will talk about. So uh, obviously, Which in the we've, news lately, we've already kind of we've already kind of touched on, but we're going to go more in depth. Yeah, Scott's got one that he he has safe tweets from, and and it would be cool to get opinions on it. So hopefully, you guys comment or or DM us or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so in the news lately, Bruce Cassidy 
uh, had the DeMar Rosen treatment from the uh, Boston Bruins, where he was two weeks ago told that his job was safe. And I think Monday night, um, apparently Don Sweeney went to his house and told him that he'd been fired. Uh, there's been a lot of rumors going around um, about the players and, and, and the impact that he had on their careers. Uh, some notables are apparently he had an, a big impact in Tory Krug not not wanting to return to Boston, and he had a big impact on David Krejci. This is all like alleged. This is not none none of this is one hundred percent truthful. So take it with whatever you want. But this is just some stuff that I've heard. Listen to podcasts. Thirty two thousand dollars free man Jeff Merrick, so on and so forth. Um, David Krejci apparently him going back to the check had a big influence on it, which in result has made. David Pasternak apparently pretty angry because some of his best friends were Tori Krug and, and David Krejci. And, and apparently he's not super happy with the fact that he, uh, it's, it's weird because I also heard that he wasn't happy that Bruce Cassidy wasn't the head coach anymore. So I don't know exactly. Like there's a lot of conf- conflicting stories. Um, I also heard Bruce Cassidy said that he thanked Jake, Jake DeBrusque for being a good sport and, playing hard this year after requesting a trade. But on the other hand, I also heard today that Jake DeBrusque refused to meet with Bruce Cassidy after his exit interview. So again, like this is all speculation, but I do know for sure that it is confirmed that he is interviewing or has interviewed with Philadelphia for their head coaching position, uh, as well as John Tortorella. So he's already back on the market and apparently it's shuffled teams coaching decisions because a lot of people were eating on Barry Trotz. Then there's Rick Tockett and John Tortorella that came available and uh, Jeff Blashell and Travis Green, who's apparently considered for the Boston Bruins coaching opening, uh, coaching uh, head coach opening position. Yep. Messed that up at moving <laughs> on. Um, but yeah, apparently once Bruce Cassidy hit the, hit the market, there's been some big changes in their thing. Uh, they're thinking. And with that being said, before we get on to Scott has the second half of the story. Uh, or more stuff about the Bruins. Apparently, Andrew Burnett, we're supposed to be getting a decision on him and a potential extension or not extension, uh, or no extension, sorry, uh, in the coming days, as well as Jay Woodcroft. So, yeah, so obviously, uh, I don't think it's been a, it's a better time to be a coach right now. Um, I think NHL it's funny. With, um is that every time there's a, a vacancy opening coaching positions, like and obviously proving winners are obviously at forefront in people's mind. Um, but every time there's an opening coaching position, there's always a, a veteran coach, classic coach, like like legendary coach whose name is always brought up, like John Tortorella, Ken Hitchcock, uh, Lindy Ruff, whatever if they're available, uh, and it, it's it's. Like yeah, they they've won in their their careers. They've won a lot. Ken Hitchcock, I think, is like what the fourth winningest coach of all time or whatever. But it's it's also yeah. kind of annoying when those are the only names you ever hear. Like there's an open yeah, and- position for a coach, and it's like oh John Tortorello, Ken Hitchcock, oh Lindy Ruff, oh like Mike Keenan, oh yeah. Ken Burns. Like like there's and, so and- many good coaches in college and junior and and AHL and OHL. That, that could get the position, but but those names are always shuffled to the forefront because obviously they're winners. But like it's it's just kind of annoying that they're always thrown in there when when there's so many good coaches who haven't been given a chance that should be given a chance. 
and and with that being said uh obviously as mentioned like here's here's just a list of of coaches that i've heard uh new and old so obviously on the older older side the legendary coaches or uh frequent flyer coaches john tortorello rick tuckett uh barry trotz apparently um paul maurice uh, i think that might be it for quote-unquote frequent flyers oh and claude julian but then there's on the other side, there's like Bruce Cassidy, who's now looking for potentially probably his second NHL contract. Uh, Travis Green, Derek King from the uh, from the Blackhawks apparently might have a connection to Vancouver. Uh, who else am I missing here? Aline Vigneault, apparently his contract, his year, my uh, sorry, his future is pretty much done in coaching. He's worn himself out. Uh, but then there's also like uh, Jim Montgomery, who used to be in Dallas. He cleaned up. He's cleaned up his act and 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 got healthy, and now he he's considered for one of the coaching positions. I I also think he's considered for Dallas. But then and then there's like Mike Van Ryan, who's the assistant coach in St. Louis. There's Steve Ott, who's the assistant coach in St. Louis. There's another assistant coach in uh, uh, the Islanders who just got fired. His name was like some Hillen or something. Uh, he's considered. Lane Lambert, who just got hired by the Islanders to be their head coach, he was considered. So there isn't just um, like the same old, same old. It's just when Barrett Trotz's name is available, everyone pauses and gets on like their hands and knees and and basically yeah. begs him to come to their team. Meanwhile, now they're all sitting back, and and he apparently like there's reports that he might take the year off. So it's like you guys just wasted three, four weeks basically begging this guy on your hands and knees to come to your team. And yeah. now, like, Bruce Cassidy, Andrew Burnett, and apparently, according to Nick Kiprios, if Jay Woodcroft becomes available, I didn't realize that this guy's got, like, a 1,000 games coaching experience. I didn't realize that. Like, not in the NHL, but just, I guess, hockey games in general. Yeah. But, yeah, apparently, if he becomes available, he might be moving up people's lineup or ladder, too. And, like, Mike Babcock, another frequent flyer. Yeah, like, the the, the, the lesser-known inexperienced guys obviously their names are tied to the teams but like you only ever hear about the and i I mean i guess it makes sense as to why like some of those names you mentioned i've never heard of in my life as opposed to elaine Vigneault, lindy ruff john tortorella who are all-time great coaches but it just i always thought it was funny where every time there's a, a vacancy in a coaching position even though there's a list of 80 90 guys that they 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 swindle down and even when they swindle it down, it's usually swindled down to one inexperienced coach who they're looking at, and then three or four coaches who are big coaches for twenty plus years. And but yeah, yeah. and they have the list of fifty guys, eighty guys. They, you only ever hear about the four or five who are are known. When in all actuality, they may, they may be good coaches, but they may not be the right fit for the team. Some of the less experienced guys, <laughs> excuse me. Uh, may be better fit for the team, but they're not being talked about because they're not as a name, their brand, their name, whatever, isn't as big as these other guys. Yeah, and that and that um, it it kind of makes me mad that like in a, in a case with Florida, oh, and John Quinville, uh, he he has to get an okay from the NHL, but apparently, apparently teams are are calling Gary Bettman about him. Um, but like Gary, Gary Bettman should just say no and then hang up the phone. Yeah, pretty much. But, uh, that, that pisses me off about Andrew Burnett in Florida. Like he, he did a good job. Yeah. He got out coached, but like, that's his first 
NHL coaching experience, his first playoff. He led them to help them get to a president's trophy. And then they might, uh, like apparently Jeff Blashell might be the front runner for the Florida, for the Florida coaching job. I'm like, how? Yeah. Like how, how was a guy who literally took over from Mike Babcock and led Detroit to the basement now going to be a head coach of the, one of the best, the best scoring team that the NHL has ever seen. Let's hope he does. <laughs> well, yeah, then your prediction is going to be right. But it, um, just, it, it it confuses me. Oh, and his name is Jim Hiller. Oh, who's uh, the uh, the used to play in the NHL? Yeah, I think so. Um, he I think he used to play for uh, Anaheim. Hmm. Could be wrong about that. There's another coach I saw today. Uh, who's like an assistant coach that might be an option. Oh, and uh, yep, here it is. Um, Luke uh, Richardson has gotten permission uh, from Chicago. Uh, Dave Quinn. uh, Jeff Blaschel's interviewing with uh, the Flyers today or believed to be interviewed. And uh, who else? And Derek King is a strong candidate for um, Vancouver, which will be a little bit interesting. And, and there's a couple other coaches, obviously, um, that are going to be out there. But I just I, that's kind of like what I liked about Toronto was they they kind of groomed Shellekeef into the AHL, into the NHL, and then kept up. Yeah, which but leads I mean, me to my time. Like, pardon? sorry, go. No, no, go. I just mean at the same time, like after the three years or four years of no real playoff success, I probably would have tried to shake it up, but I, I understand why they didn't. Perfect segue into my next point because I I never even really thought of this until you brought up Andrew Burnett being replaced in Florida. Is that it seems that when the there's a lot of like coaches who are hired that aren't as experienced, like Andrew Burnett's, like Sheldon Keefe's, like uh, et cetera, et cetera, insert name here. It seems that even though the teams are doing good, they're, they're always being, oh, we need to replace them for someone who knows what they're doing. Like Toronto's been a playoff team every year under Sheldon Keefe in the two and a half, three years he's been the coach. And since he got here, you you see on Twitter all the time, like we need to bring in someone who knows how to coach. We need to do this. We need to do that. Andrew Burnett, although you could chalk it up to the, the early part of the year with the coach before him as, as why they did so well. Yeah. But like now it's, he led them to the president's trophy and it's, oh, we need to replace him for someone who's more experienced, who knows what they're doing. It's just funny how, and then when they get an experienced coach, and they, besides like the Mike Babcock situation, it seems that they, they those guys only really get fired when the team is doing really bad. Like if if yeah. John Quinville was the coach of Chicago, and they say they didn't win three Stanley Cups, but they made the playoffs eight years in a row, he's not getting fired. But if if it was a guy who they hired that isn't experienced, and and they they made the playoffs three years in a row, and they but they didn't win a Stanley Cup. Like people are clamoring for that guy's job because they need someone in there who can lead them to a cup. But if it was John yeah. Quinville, it would be like, yeah, like come back next year. We like it's just funny how that 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 situation plays out when it's an inexperienced coach as opposed to an experienced coach. Yeah, it's. I don't know. It's. I, I think that there's. Oh, and 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 then there's like going into complete inexperience at the NHL level. Like Marty St. Louis signed the three-year extension who had no, I think he coached like his kid's triple-A team. But then there's Mark Savard 
who's one of the best coaches right now. I think he's Windsor Spitfires coach in the OHL. Uh, he's apparently considered for Boston's job, which would be kind of cool because now they're just taking like the new of the new, you know, yeah. and, and introducing them into the NHL. And I think that's like clodgerly. And I, I like the guy seems like a hell of a coach, but I, I think at this point, like, I understand you want to get back into it, but it's time to move on. I personally think, I think that teams should look at hiring guys who, who can um, understand the game a little bit better and, and the aspect of how it's, how it's evolved. And like John Tarrella, I, I, I don't understand why he's coming back into coaching. Mike Babcock, after what he's publicly had done to players, I, I think that your career is probably over too. And that yeah, did, we're talking to you. Did John Tortorella even really do anything in Columbus? Like they made the playoffs that what one year, and then every other year they didn't make the playoffs with him as their head coach. Well, they, yeah, they swept Tampa in the first round, and then they beat Toronto in the qualifying round. But besides that, like no, they didn't have real much success. He just he basically took a team, in my opinion, that was uh, on the cusp of being a couple pieces away from a contender, and he had acquired Patrick Line and somehow managed to help their team fall off the face of the earth and piss off some of the best players that they had. Like Pierre-Luc Dubois, there's probably no reason why he was traded if it yeah. wasn't for John Tavares. What? I meant John Tavares, sorry. Um, <laughs> but, I didn't even claim the- yeah. Uh, I don't know. But it, I just if Was Mark Savard the name you brought up for Boston? Yeah, there's another guy who used to, he coached at like Providence College or something that they have interest in. But yeah, Mark Savard, yeah. Because if he if he does get the job, he's going to have a hell of a time if if the rumors are true that if Bergeron's retiring, Pasternak's getting traded. Like that, the, the rumored is that they're 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 wanting or or leaning towards the, the the even if it's just a small rebuild. But if if they lose Bergeron and Pasternak, and all they have left is Marchand on that top line, and they don't really have that many other superstar offensive talents, I, I don't see him having that much of a uh, success, obviously, with with the, the team that they're going to assemble if, if those guys leave. Well, listen to this, okay? This is from 32 Thoughts, the podcast. Ellie Freeman's friend texts on this, and I, I'll give you a little backstory as to why I think this is true. Pasternak, I don't think, is getting traded for the reason I'm going to talk about. But keep in mind, McAvoy's out six months. Um, Matt Grislick's out five months. Yeah. Um, but Marshawn's not. Yeah, but he's on both hips. He says that he's good for six months, but you got to give that guy, like, he's like both hips. He's probably a good eight months to a year before yeah. he's back to the same Brad Marshawn. Uh, they've got Swayman and, and Allmark, who are decent goalies, but, but think about it. If by chance they can, they can, even if Bergeron doesn't come back or comes back, whatever the case may be. What are the chances of of the year that Connor Bedard is going to be the first overall, who could be the best player like in the last 20 years in the NHL? He, he could be better than Connor McDavid. And, and randomly for the first three, four months of the season, all Boston's best players are going to be, are going to be gone injured and then there's contract negotiations that are going south or for an extension for Pasternak and there's potentially uh, 
uh, I don't even know, un- uneasiness or, or unhappiness with Pasternak. And like, this will all be better if they got the first pick. If they get yeah. the first pick, say, if they get the first pick in next year's draft or the second pick and they get that Mishkov or they got Connor Bernard, Pasternak will instantly be randomly happy again. Bergeron might even come back after taking a year off. You never know. Yeah, but then Brad Marchand will stay. And and you got to think about it. Like, they traded for Hampus Lindholm, who didn't want to be part of a rebuild in Anaheim. And then he signs a seven-year or six-year contract extension. Yeah, should have came to Toronto. <laughs> yeah, he should have, because it would have been a huge kick in the pants for him to go there and then have to go through a rebuild in Boston. I don't think they're going to rebuild. I think that they're just... I think that they're just basically playing into a potential. And that, that leads me to what L.A. Freeman's friend said. L.A. Freeman's friend texted him and said, effing Boston's going to get Connor Bernard because Which, the way that they've set it up. I mean, yeah, they're still the draft lottery, though. But, yeah, all yeah, no, indication is that they'll probably finish towards but the think about, they can get it. think about the new year or the new rules that uh, the NHL put in. Yeah. Which like brings up get, a good – You can't get the – same pick Sorry, twice. Go. You can't yeah. get the same first overall pick twice in five years or whatever it is. Yeah. So who yeah. got the first Edmonton. pick this year? Uh, Montreal. Okay. So if Montreal tanks next year, they, they can't, can't get, get it. it. Yeah. New Jersey might not get the second pick because they might be good if they get a Slavikov or Slavkovsky or, yeah. you know, like Buffalo. And that's the thing is Buffalo and Detroit might have a chance to actually make the wild card. Yeah. Which pushes pushes Boston down further. I think that it's kind of a smart plan, but it's a huge kick in the in the behind. Which here's a question for you: When was the last first round pick in the draft that wasn't a classic team? McDavid, Edmonton, classic team. Matthews, Toronto, classic team. Montreal this year, classic team. Uh, Buffalo, classic team. Uh, New Jersey, I guess not necessarily a classic team, but Stanley Cup history. You could argue that they're a classic team. Like, when was the last first round pick that actually Chicago with whoever they picked, classic team? Like, when was the last time a, a Lafreniere to New Jersey, classic team? When was the last time New a York. player was picked, New York? New York, who? No, no, you said New Jersey, Lafreniere to New Jersey. Oh, yeah, I meant yeah, New York. Like, when was the last time there was a first round pick that didn't go to a classic team? Uh, I know there have I, been. You could argue New Jersey. Because they've only been around since what ninety or mid eighties or eighty whatever. Yeah, and they and they absolutely dominated in those last little but, bit. Uh, Florida, yeah, like two thousand fourteen. Oh, with Aaron Eckblad. Yeah. Yeah. So eight years, unless you don't argue New Jersey, but eight years of teams who are considered classic teams getting first round picks. And then Colorado in twenty thirteen was considered like one of the best teams in the last twenty years. So. Yeah, and then you go back, with, but then they have a history with Quebec that dates back to 1979, so they're a classic team. Yeah, well, New Jersey, even New Jersey has a Kansas yeah, City, like Kansas and... City and Cleveland and whatever the other teams they were before yeah. that. But like, like I guess, yeah, Florida. Every other team that was those eight years has has history dating back to like the 70s or before. In the yeah. case of Montreal, Toronto, uh, Rangers, and then potentially Boston, if they get it. I just I, I never yeah. even, that never even popped in my head until you brought that up that there's been a streak of of the last what eight years when we figured out that like there's been eight straight years of classic teams getting the first round pick. 
and then Florida, and then yeah, I don't even know when before that. Uh, Probably Anaheim, right? Uh, Tampa Bay in 2008. Well, now they're a classic team because they've probably the best dynasty that we've seen. Well, yeah, but the I most mean, impressive they dynasty. don't have the, the history of all the other teams. Like the St. years. Louis, uh, Washington in 2014. I mean, I guess you, you could argue Washington isn't necessarily a classic team. They've been around for a while, but up until the 90s, they kind of weren't that great. Yeah, you want to know the biggest kick in the nuts that I've ever seen in my whole entire freaking life? Okay. Two thousand two or nineteen ninety nine, okay. Atlanta picked Patrick Steffen, who who went on to be a complete bust. Two thousand one, they picked Ilya Kovalchuk, which is just that's just good to know. Okay. But here's the biggest kick in the nuts that I've ever seen. Two thousand two, Rick Nash was selected first by Columbus. Columbus got that pick from who? Florida Panthers. Okay. Yeah. Two thousand three, Mark Andre Fleury. Picked first overall by Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh got that pick from Florida Panthers. Yeah, yeah. Florida Panthers could have had Rick Nash or whomever they would have picked first, and Mark Andre Fleury or whoever they would have picked first in two thousand three because that draft was also deep. Um, but they traded them away. I don't know for who, but they traded or them for away because they didn't do anything in those years. Yeah, like they and could you imagine if they still had Pavel Burry? I think they would have had Pavel Burry actually in, in the early 2000s. Oh, wasn't before he Pavel went. Burry on New the Rangers in 2003? Oh, yeah, maybe, yeah. But still, like, what are you thinking? Uh, okay, Scott, can you touch on um, the. I'll let you take the other point just quickly, guys, throw us out there. Pete DeBoer uh, looks like he's locked up the job in Dallas for the head coaching job. Uh, okay, could you take the uh, Poulin hired? Oh, yeah. Uh, I don't know who she was hired by. Who was she hired by? Oh, yeah, Montreal. Montreal. That's right there. Uh, Marie-Philippe Poulin. As, uh, what was she, a uh, player consultant? Front office consultant? Uh, I think you she's a player. <laughs> I actually don't know what she was hired for. I just oh, okay. can say that. Yeah. For some reason, I have such a hard time with saying Mar- Marie Philippe Poulin, whatever. Anyway, she's like my favorite female hockey player. Um, you don't uh, like Jennifer Bottle? <laughs> okay, easy. Captain Clutch, that's what I like to call her. Uh, actually, I think that's the first time I've ever called her that, not going to lie. Um, yeah. Yeah, so she was hired for like player development, I believe, um, part time because she's still going through one more Olympic cycle before she goes on full time. Interesting note there. Uh, she was asked about the role. She's excited for it. She got asked if you could teach clutch, and she said something like, "We'll see." Yeah, no one's teaching now. that. Um, some people are gonna. Uh, apparently, some people after this. Uh, Olympic circle will consider her the best female hockey player ever. So kind of cool that we got to witness a little bit of that. All right, Scott, are you able to take the potential news out of Edmonton? Potential Edmonton. Ah, yes. Yes, I can. So it's, (laughs) it's been, (laughs) well, I mean, I didn't actually know anything about her. I just, you said, Scott, take that one before you said it before we start the podcast, because I could say her name and you couldn't. So a little bit more information next time would be nice. It's, it's not that I can't say her name. It's just that for some reason, my tongue literally gets tied and I, I just can't. Yeah, so yeah, in sure. reality, I can't say her name. 
Um, anyways, uh, so anyway, anyway, yeah, it's been rumored the last like day, two days, however long it's been, that uh, Edmonton goalie Mike Smith is contemplating retirement. Um, I mean, he's he's been in the league for years. He's one of the oldest goalies in the league, so it doesn't come as a shock that he's contemplating. Uh, whether he actually does or not is a different story. Uh, and there's also been rumors, I think, that Peter Morazic has been linked to Edmonton as a goalie for them if Mike Smith does retire. Uh, yeah, so what do you think about that? Um, yeah, pretty much uh, Elliot Freeman said it best. Mike Smith is the most emotional dude in the NHL. Uh, so... Jack, well, yeah, but like Mike, <laughs> Mike Smith's basically like a hothead. Uh, so oh, I don't really so buy that he's going to retire. I think that it was just, yeah, I think that it was just he had um, Spur of the moment. one day less than 24 hours. Yeah. But if he does retire, please take Peter Mrazek. I liked Peter Mrazek. <laughs> I actually predicted that Toronto was going to trade or sign Peter Mrazek halfway through the season and last year, two years ago. And I was super excited when they did. But I'm, I'm tired of seeing goalies in Toronto getting injured. Um, so I think yes, deal. Uh, just quick here on the, I did some research while I, while you were talking about Mike Smith, that trade. So talking about Florida, like <laughs> what? I said, where'd you find the time? I talked about it for like two seconds. Uh, they call me the stats guy. Uh, no one calls me that. Just, yeah, just for the nobody. record. Okay. So, uh, Florida acquired, uh, and June twenty second, twenty twenty or two thousand two, uh, they trade a third and a fourth round pick, uh, in in exchange for the th- <laughs> to the Atlanta Thrashers in exchange for the Atlanta Thrashers promising not to draft Jay Bomeister at Bomeister at two. Never seen that before, what? but that's awesome. So they gave yeah. up the first pick. What? So they gave up Rick Nash in hopes no, no, that no, 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 yeah, 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 yeah. They gave up the pick that turned out to be Rick Nash in hopes that Atlanta wouldn't choose Jay Bomister at two when they could have well, just chosen Rick Nash. Well, no. Uh, let me uh, – yeah, I guess in a sense. So, yeah, they – how the deal went was, yeah, they – They could have just chose Jay Bomister. <laughs> like... <laughs> yeah, I guess they traded the third and fourth pick to Atlanta so then Atlanta didn't take him at two, and then they s- traded – the third overall or the first overall pick to Columbus for the third overall pick, uh, which was Jay Bomeister oh, for so Rick they Nash. And then they, the no, and then they swapped picks. Um, so why didn't they just for the, the next third and year the fourth pick to the first round pick instead of having to trade the second round and then again for the first round? I have no idea if they're going to trade for the first overall or swap the first overall pick. I don't. I'm going to look up who was second in that draft. Uh, that reminds me of the it was Carl. Yeah, they had it rigged. Yeah, they had to go one too. Car Lennon. Uh, yeah. So uh, Florida did trade. Yeah, tra- Florida traded. I'm assuming traded the first pick in that draft to Columbus. Uh, f- and then they so who, chose Rick Nash, and then they traded two? two picks to Atlanta. So then Florida got f- got one. I'm assuming, and so they traded just, the first overall pick. Let me get this straight. Atlanta traded the third and fourth pick. To no, no, Florida, Florida, Florida traded to Atlanta. Yeah, and promising not to trade for the uh, pick. Uh, Jay but, so then yeah. Florida had two, or Atlanta had two. Atlanta had two, yeah. 
And so then, then so they, they originally had, had three and four. Florida had one. No, Florida. No, no, that was third and fourth rounds. Florida had had one. Oh, and then okay. I'm assuming I thought you meant they had the third and fourth pick. No, okay. Let me explain this again because it seems like I I I, mad, I madly confuse this. Okay, so Florida had one. They yeah. traded. I'm assuming a deal came up with Rick Nat or Columbus. They swapped 2003 picks, first overall picks, and they traded um, their their first pick to to Columbus for the third pick in that draft. So then Rick Nash was obviously or Columbus obviously wanted to trade Rick Nash. Then they trade a third and fourth overall or round pick to Atlanta and promising not to choose Ray or Jay Ballmeister, in which they chose Carl Lennon and then Florida chose Jay Ballmeister. So why didn't Florida just say I want to choose Jay Ballmeister? Because I'm assuming Rick Nash or Columbus wanted Rick Nash, so they offered Florida the deal first. And then Florida accepted and then said, Oh poop. Uh, we want Jay Bomister. So you would think realistically they could have worked it out that Nat, Columbus and 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 uh, Atlanta swept uh, swept swapped second a third round or overall picks, like yeah, the second pick the for the third. Florida takes Rick Nash. And not well, Jay and then you could and then Columbus could have been the one who gave a third pick and promising not to choose Rick Nash. You know what I mean? Like or or figuring out who they're picking. Like it just seems That's like true. Florida had to do a lot of the legwork for nothing. <laughs> um, yeah. And then that Mark Andre Fleury pick was June 21st. So the next year's draft, I'm assuming they had, cause they swapped first overall picks. So I'm assuming they had uh, Columbus's first overall pick, I guess, originally. Yeah. Uh, so they chose, they traded the first overall pick and the third round pick which turned out to be Daniel Carcillo, and I'm assuming that was right at the draft. And they got Michael Samuelson, uh, the first overall, a first overall number three pick, which they chose Nathan Horton with, and a second overall pick, which they chose Stephen Meyer. So they gave up on Yikes. Mark Andre Fleury, but at that time they didn't have Roberto Longo yet. I don't believe. Yeah, maybe they would have. But... Yeah, they would have. So yeah, they literally traded way, one of the best goalies they, of all time. They would have had Rick Nash and Mark Andre Fleury, and instead ended up with Nathan Horton, Michael Samuelson, Jade Bomeister, and I don't even remember who the other and guy was. Stefan Meyer. Yeah. And Stephen Meyer. And they and they and and two months before they traded Valerie Bure for Mark Van Ryan, and that's when the And actually just before that they traded Sandus Oslinch. So they would have actually had not a bad team. Yeah, brutal. But, I mean, but, we shouldn't talk as release fans, and they have horrible draft history too. But th- that's brutal. Yeah, but Toronto has Toronto has bad draft history in terms of like, yes, they traded up to to tra- to sign t- or draft Tyler Biggs, and and that didn't work. Well, out. they traded away but, the pick that turned out to be Chris Pronger or Scott Niedermeyer or whatever it was. Yeah, but in reality, like, okay, so the Scott Niedermeyer one, the trade was actually done the year before, before even the, the lottery happened. So Toronto had no, like Toronto could have finished 15th in the, in the, in the draft you know, or in the standings, you know what I mean? And, and, and the Chris Pronger one was, I, I think the same situation where they trade them the years prior, but Florida legitimately traded on draft day. Yeah, no, no. Yeah. I'm saying, but then like, obviously Toronto has a bad history at drafts, even not trade, just selecting players. So like, yeah, like the, as like, least fans, we shouldn't necessarily talk, but yeah, that's brutal. But gave up yeah, with you're, you're right. Flurry for Jay Bomeister and 
I, and and I, I and somehow in, in two minor leaguers in twenty twenty or two uh, what then two thousand two you got fleeced into doing all the legwork to make sure that everyone picked the players that they were supposed to pick when Columbus should have been doing that if they won the first pick in my opinion. Also in yeah. twenty twenty or two thousand three, after the Mark Andre Fleury trade, they traded and bear and bear with me here, okay? They traded the two thousand three second round pick. Uh, a 2003 second round pick, a 2003 second round pick that turned out to be match maybe or maybe um, and uh, a six overall pick that turned out to be Doug O'Brien in the second earlier was Mike and Ed, 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 Egner, sorry. And they used those three picks that traded for the first overall pick from uh, sorry, the first round pick that was number 25 from Tampa to choose Anthony Stewart, who many Canadians will know as. Anthony Stewart from Sportsnet. Yikes. Yeah. I mean, not that those players ever turned out to be anything decent, any of them, but still you gave up two two seconds and a sixth for... Yeah. yeah. That's... You, you, they yeah. literally trade the 34th pick and the f- 41st pick for the 25th pick. So... Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Wow. Anyways, that's enough... Uh, Drafts, uh, draft history history but yeah i mean we got a lot of time to fill i mean this this podcast is almost two hours long so enjoy it but yeah we have a lot of time to fill in terms of uh kind of some downtime in, in the off season well, I mean, uh so late because the draft's coming up right it's not yeah like we're not talking uh, about stuff that isn't relevant just it's just yeah no i agree and and in reality like we're gonna be trying to cover major headlines that have happened so uh yeah and it, it was yeah it was a good look back if anyone is interested in the website that i i used it is trade track or nhl trade tracker.com and you can see you can see years you can see teams you can see players and you can see gm trades so it's cool to look back at like 2000 to 2010 when they toronto had uh john ferguson jr and just before the brian burke era kind of cool to look at the trades that they made um anyway scott you got anything else to add or you want to wrap this up uh just quickly touch on the the, the chatter about nylander okay which we've mentioned already once in this podcast about nylander being traded but i have noticed that there's a lot of not even just professional like insider chatter just random people chatted on twitter about a potential trade with the New Jersey Devils. I think it was started by New Jersey accounts, so it's not even just Leafs fans. In their usual, uh, shockingly, we need to get rid of Nylander. But there has been a few that have been put out there, Nylander to New Jersey for uh, Jesper Bratt in the second pick, and then whatever else is needed to make the deal happen. And then the other one that I've seen a lot of people talk about was, uh, let me pull it up, hold on one second. It was Nylander, Rasmus Sandin, uh, Jack Campbell, and the 25th pick for Mackenzie Blackwood, Damon Severson, and the second overall pick. <laughs> what? Um, yeah. Oh, so there's there's been a lot of chatter on, on Twitter that, that I've noticed, not even just from Leafs fans, which I know usually that's all they're talking about is trade Nylander. But this, these two that I've seen a lot of chatter about came from New Jersey fan accounts and New Jersey accounts. Uh, so I thought that was interesting that they they seem to have interest in Nylander and and were willing to give up quite a bit, like 
Jesper yeah. Bratt, Damon Seaver, or not Damon Seaver, Mackenzie Blackwood, and the second pick uh, are, are yeah, pretty crucial to New Jersey. Pick. So, which is funny because New Jersey has openly said, um, and same as Ottawa, that they're willing to trade the second and Ottawa's seventh overall pick for a player who can impact the roster right away. But also, New Jersey has the option of choosing Logan Cooley or uh, Yuri Slavkovsky or uh, David Yurich. So those are three players that would probably impact the roster right away. Not a, a, a Nylander standpoint, but like, why would you yeah. give up your... You, you could be picking the best defenseman that's played for your team since Scott Niedermeyer and, and uh, Scott Stevens. And David Yarch, and you're just gonna trade him for William Nylander and Jack Campbell, and give you give us your 24 year old or 25 year old starting goalie. Like, we'll take it. I think the other one was was funnier. Give up this 70 point uh, player Jesper Bratt and the second pick for 70 point player William Nylander. Yeah, I I, I wouldn't do that for a second. Jesper Bratt's good. Well, I mean, but, if uh, you're New Jersey. Well, yeah, if you're New Jersey. Yeah. If you're Toronto, you consider it because you're getting a 70-point player back, which he may not get 70 points next year, but even if he gets 55-60, plus whatever potential starting defenseman forward that you get at the second-round pick. Wait, are you saying – wait. I'm, New Jersey was you're saying if, giving up the second pick and just – Yeah, I know, but I know Toronto that. Was giving up but I'm saying – I know, but are, are you – which team are you saying would consider it, New Jersey or Toronto? Uh, I, the the – um, the the Mackenzie Blackwood one, I think both teams say no. There's pieces in that trade that neither team would give up. Yeah, but in the the other one, I think Toronto would consider it. Because Mackenzie Blackwood for has for Brett and the second round pick or the second pick in the draft. Oh, the second Toronto. pick. Oh, yeah. I like thought the, you the, said the second, second round. round. No, like the second oh. overall first round pick. Yeah, then in that situation, then yeah, I would. I thought you meant like their second round pick, like their 60th pick in the draft. I was like, no, because no, like, like that can never work out. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would. Like, I if would you're Toronto, that. you 100% consider that. Yeah. I mean, obviously, yeah, I, it's just and throwing out a trade that they want to happen. But, but I just thought it was interesting that there's been a lot of chatter, specifically between Toronto and New Jersey trade potential trades that people want to happen and all of them are yeah including Nylander but yeah I just thought that was funny how the last couple of days yeah it's because Nylander's liked outside there's, there's of other, Toronto well yeah I mean there's a lot some fans who like him in Toronto but I just thought it was funny almost yeah, no, the trades, almost all the trades I saw were New Jersey and Toronto and they all include Nylander and they all include all included the second round pick so or the, yeah, the second pick in the draft not the second round pick to be honest, it's probably because of Tom Fitzgerald saying, former Leaf, by the way, that saying that he would trade the second overall pick for a yeah, player to I mean, impact their roster. Give him the second so. round pick and Jesper Brad. And this is no offense to Nylander because he's, besides Matt, he's my favorite Leaf. But you could probably get a bit better player than than Nylander if you're giving up a seventy point player and and a potential to be whatever yeah. player they. Pick at second if if it's the whatever whoever it is the potential to be a starter right away on forward or arguably a solid like great defenseman for your team then yeah I don't know I just thought it was funny yeah that's confusing um 
Well, excuse me. Sorry, I was just yawning. Um, that that is why it takes a specific person to be a GM in the NHL, and not just Cat Friendly's armchair GM, which we all use. But no disrespect, I also use it. But that's why, because no one really knows the value of players until you're in that role, right? Yeah. Um. Anyways, so we will give you a little breakdown here. Uh, we got the draft coming up on the 7th of July and the 8th of July. We probably won't be doing much in terms of a live stream. Uh, I would imagine that would probably be free agency day where we do some kind of like live interaction. Uh, if, if Toronto does anything big, whatever. Um, but we will be doing a player breakdown probably for the prospects. Uh, some or, or maybe not break down in, in, in a kind of in a generalized term of what players we'd want them to pick at 25. Um, and then potentially more free agent signings, uh, rumors around the NHL and um, trades that they can make as things start to heat up. Uh, and I, I, I also want to just touch on this quick uh, about, about women uh, hockey players. Apparently Elliot Freeman said, um, we're not done with seeing Canadian hockey or women hockey players or American women hockey players join the NHL. Uh, one I would keep probably an eye on, I would think, when she's done is probably, uh, what's her name, Sarah Nurse? Yeah, Sarah yeah. Nurse. She seems to be really liked in the hockey community. And it, I don't necessarily mean she could be with an NHL team, but she could be a player per, or um, a personality like Jennifer Baudrill is. Uh, I would choose. I would hire her. She just seems like she would just be that type of person that that could uh, attract younger audiences of of women, especially uh, to hockey or just the intermissions, even. So keep an eye on that because there might be some more signings of women hockey players, and we'll be covering them here. Uh, in terms of that, we'll end it up. Uh, wow, we'll wrap it up. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I'm a little tired. Uh, donate uh, to the pod. Uh, we have a potential of doing uh, some kind of jersey giveaway. So donate some money so we can buy a Toronto Maple Leaf jersey, get get a name on the back, get a number on the back, and, and ship it out. Uh, merch, oh. there is a new... You okay? Yeah, that just reminded me of that. Twitter post you sent me about the guy saying his kid wanted a jersey from the Edmonton Oilers. Oh, and yeah. And I mentioned saying, yeah, sure, give me a name, and the guy put 0-4. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know if anyone's seen that, but yeah, the, a guy reached out to Edmonton, said his name's, his kid's name was Owen. Edmonton said, sure, let's do it up. What's this last name? And the guy said, Owen, and then 4, F-O-U-R. Which is hilarious. I thought it was hilarious. Scott said it kind of sucks because Edmonton thought, Edmonton thought it was for a kid. Yeah, but uh, I mean, it's it's funny. Hilarious. But from their perspective, it's probably an annoyance because they and, thought they were actually doing something nice for a kid. But yeah, and if I was Edmonton, so I would, I would, I would still ship that guy a jersey saying Owen Four on the back, just because, like Owen O W E N, just because yeah. that's to be kind of like a you want to be a. A jerk to us. Well, here's a jersey that we just paid for and shipped to your house. Be an Edmonton Oilers fan now. Guy was probably secretly an Edmonton Oilers fan, anyways. Yeah, but um, anyway, so uh, we got some new merch going on. We have uh, Mr. Selkie. Uh, that reminds me, Bergeron has won the Selkie. His fifth Selkie. Uh, people are gonna 
potentially put together a little uh, protest thing. Not really a protest, but a, a, I guess reasoning as to change the the, the trophy to from Selkie to Bergeron uh, when he retires. Uh, so yeah, Mr. Selkie, shirts around if you're interested in and you like Patricia Bergeron, uh, buy one. We also have pride shirts out uh, from Q the Ducks. They're called Q the Pride Boat. Wait, Q the... I don't know what they're called. I think it's Q <laughs> the Pride Boat. <laughs> I think it is because... <laughs> uh, oh, man. Because they're... <laughs> I'll just, I'll just, <laughs> uh, I'll, just <laughs> uh, I'll just look it up quick. Um, <laughs> oh man, <laughs> yeah, it's it's just, uh, yeah. So they're called, um, I believe they're called Q the Pride Boat. Yeah. Uh, cue the duck boat pride shirts. That's what they're called. So I was completely off. Um, yeah. Anyways, that is a podcast under the umbrella of uh, Inside the Ring. So buy them and support Pride Month. Happy Pride Month, everyone who celebrates it. And if you don't celebrate it, get on board and celebrate it because hockey is for everyone. Uh, well, at least that's what we try to do. Obviously, we know it's it's hard. Not everyone agrees on that, but we do here so we support pride month and we support these t-shirts so go buy one subscribe to our podcast and dm us if you have any interest because i i i've been seeing a lot of people uh um watch uh viewing and downloading our our prior podcast from last week we have like 400 and what i say 430 something downloads um and the week before we almost have 2200 so I, I, we all know people are listening and potentially coming back for more. So if you are, DM us for some interesting uh, ideas that you have, and we can try and include that in the podcast. Even if you just want to shout out if you're a big fan, uh, social media at uh, Least Forever Pod on Twitter. Uh, we use Twitter more than Instagram. We do have an Instagram account at Least Forever Pod. Nope, at uh, Least Talk Forever, but at Least Forever Pod is our Twitter name. Come on, uh, follow us, join us, subscribe to our podcast. Like, comment, go, Lisco. Thank you for listening. Thank you.